Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Home and Away, a podcast devoted to all things in and around the world of sporting Kansas City soccer. I am Drew Vanderplug, joined once again, as always, by my good friend Cody Welton. After a one-week hiatus, we are back, and many, many things have happened. Two home wins and a draw at Houston take it to one loss in the last two months for the club. Kendall McIntosh gets a surprise start in goal against D.C. and records the shutout. Willie Agata continues to do Willie Agata things, and they start to pay off again against Minnesota. Is Eric Tommy the best midfielder in MLS right now? Some of the stats might surprise you. Ben Sweat might not be as bad as we thought. Something tells me opinions may be split on this podcast regarding this topic. (laughs) And a discussion around set pieces. Uh, Cody, what stands out most to you about how the team is playing lately? Um, <laughs> I mean, th- they're really good. Uh, first of all, that's what stands out. Um, and you know, it just it uh, maybe we, maybe I shouldn't feel this way, but it's just it just makes me think of what could have been. You know, it kind of feels like you know a, a lost season in some respects because you know, this is there's not a lot of difference between this team and the team that you know. Uh, was playing in in June. Um, there's two players difference. Actually, that's what that's what the difference is. It's just two players, and you know we we could be in the, we could be in the playoffs. Is 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 what I'm getting at. And uh, it seems like it would have taken very little. Um, and you know it's hard it's hard not to feel a, a little miffed and maybe some sour grapes about uh, the way this has turned out. Because honestly, I mean we're. Sporting Kansas City is better than uh, at this moment. Sporting Kansas City is better than a lot of the teams that are in the playoffs. Yeah. They're yeah. they're playing better. They're 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 better coached. Uh, they're they're just overall better than than you know probably half of the teams in the playoffs. And you know, I mean, you look at the Minnesota team that they played on Saturday and absolutely just pants. Like I don't think that that game was really that close at any point. No. I mean, maybe for the first 15 minutes of the second half, it was a little even. But, I mean, I don't think that game was necessarily that close. And, and granted, they don't have Reynoso, and, you know, DeBassi is injured. So, I mean, I think both of those things are things you take into account. But Sporting has two DPs out for the season. Yeah. And and they're just absolutely worked Minnesota. Yeah. Now, th- it's pretty common for them to work Minnesota at Children's Mercy Park. That's a thing that has been happening for ever since Minnesota has been in MLS. Um, and I, I don't know if Peter's just got Adrian Heath's number, but yeah, you, you look at that Minnesota's above the playoff line. I don't know how long they're going to be above the playoff line playing like that. Yeah, that was but, bad. I mean, you, you make a, you make a valid point. There's, there's a universe in which if, um, P1 visas and whatnot were a little easier to get, yeah. and these guys got here about three weeks earlier, we could actually be yeah. talking about I mean, that's all it would have taken. Yeah. It seems like, you and, know. So blame blame this on the State Department. That's what I say. Uh, Okay. (laughs) (laughs) No, No, I think I think there's plenty of of blame uh, uh, in the club to 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 be placed. So exactly, I think you know we've talked about this a, a fair bit on the podcast. There's there's also a world in which you made signings like this at when you figured out you had a problem. Yeah. Versus five months after you figured out you had a problem. Yeah. Um. Uh, I think uh, Tom Boger discussed this a little bit on the Sporting KC show this week where he said, hey, look, he, he said the same thing that we've been saying a while about the, the defensive midfield position. It's like you went into the season with Jose Mauri and Udi Rossell. You, you made that decision. Yeah. 
and that yeah. was a that was a completely solvable decision yep. on their part to do to go yep. a different way um, before before all the problems happened, and we, we we saw, you know, I think there was a domino effect that was related to that. Hundred um, percent. Voltaire has played very well in that position for the past month, and he seems to be getting better because he's consistently playing that position. He's also not being asked to do a bunch of his other things from the six that I think he was having to do when you don't have Eric Tommy on the field. Yeah. You know, when you don't have other super high-quality midfielders on the field, he's trying to do too much. He can get out of position. There's just a, there's a, there's a domino effect to all of those things. Um, so you see what happens when he can play in that position, especially against Minnesota. He basically had free reign in the midfield. Yeah. The they they let him do that, but but you're absolutely right. I I do have I do have a, a lot of concerns about um, maybe his future at that position moving forward. But you know, there's plenty of time that we can discuss that. Well, I mean, let's. Well, let's, we can talk about it now. Right. I mean, you. I know. I know. You. I know. You just don't. You don't want him to be there full time, no. and I don't disagree with you. I don't disagree with you. I don't want him to be there full time either. I would ask you. Let me put it this way. Um, let's let's lay the, let's put the lay of the land out there. If we're going to talk about this, let's let's get into it right now. When we look at the roster makeup of the team, and we look at where their available investments are. And I'm not going to get into this conversation about buying out Alan Polito because it's silly. that's not happening. Yeah, it's silly. It's not happening, okay? Um, if you think, okay, the best the best opportunity we have to free up some cap space is to release our $2 million-plus center backs, we still have to replace them with somebody, and we would have to bring in a number six. High-quality, good MLS center backs do cost money generally. <laughs> Unless that you've got a distressed asset, you need two of them. Yeah, we have we right? have we have two on on the on the roster. <laughs> I, I I would say that <laughs> well, you know that we need at least four. Yes, um, absolutely. You need four yeah. that can play if you're going on an MLS mm-hmm. roster. So you need two more. Yeah. And I'm just going to ask you this: Would you be completely comfortable with Courtney Ford and Robbie Volader as your starting center back starting next season? I mean, that depends a hundred percent on the number six you get, you know what I'm saying? I well, mean, it's, that's what I'm it's saying. All... Like you, you would have to, you would have to go get a high Tam playing yeah. a high Tam number six. Yes. And that guy has to be available. The, yes. And it can't be Sergio Busquets. Yeah. He's Busquets is going to enter Miami. That he... I know. I, know. <laughs> I, I breathe a sigh of relief. Honestly, I was like, phew. Okay. <laughs> um, uh, I think, yes, I, I, I absolutely think that, uh, I would be comfortable with that. You know, the thing is, 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 uh, one of the one of the clearest um, one of the clearest signs that you're a, a high quality MLS team and a team c- capable of of winning MLS Cup and and sh- sure even Supporter Shield is that you have an elite number six. That is that is for the most part a truism when you look at the teams who've been successful, the elite teams, the elite MLS teams throughout the years. Um, that is one of the things that those teams have in common. Um, Sporting Kansas City is is probably a little bit of of an anomaly uh, in that respect, um, other than the fact that we had Ilya, right? And Ilya is a Ilya is an elite level uh, defensive midfielder in many many respects and if he has the right cast around him as we've discussed many times uh that's a recipe for uh for a, su- a successful team um whether you're talking about Ilya or Jao Paulo or you know maybe it's Jose Martinez uh this year those kind of players are players that that 
change games and they and they uh, they they change the way teams defend. They change the way that teams uh, attack. Um, they're uh, and especially especially for this team where it's a single pivot and that player has so uh, much of the onus for both you know possession and 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 defensive cover put on them. I mean we saw we saw what the team looked like with uh, with. Busio at that position, and it's not like Busio is a destroyer, right? Uh, but Busio, I think, is a better number six than uh, Remy Voltaire, and probably yes. and probably better suited, you know, to that position uh, for the long term. Um, and and so, I'm telling you, if we if I mean, we if we had if we had just had that position taken care of, it would have been a, we would be in the playoffs. I mean that I, I mean, have no, if, there's no doubt in my mind. Or if or if Ori Roselle is even is is even a passable uh, starting uh, number six on a regular basis, we're in the playoffs um, because because we found that that we had you know moving Voltaire there was the really the only thing that Vermes could do, uh, and it worked. And to Voltaire's credit, he did a great job uh, uh, learning that position. But if if he doesn't have to play that position, then we don't have to, you know, have an extended cameo uh, of Cam Duke as a starter, and um, and I, I don't think that was a successful. Uh, I don't. It wasn't a successful experiment, and um, and I think that if we would have been able to play Remy uh, further up the field in those instances, I think that. I mean, we're 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 not gonna miss the playoffs by a lot, right? I mean, we're talking about you know, I don't know, five points, something like that, um, and and I think that that position would have been worth that. I think that there's a universe in which if this team had more midfield ball control, they would be a lot more different, a lot better than they were uh, this year. I would agree with that completely because you can see what happens right now when they have midfield ball control. They're able to maintain possession. They're able to play the play the way that they want to play, and it makes them harder to beat. They're, it's harder to get in those transition moments behind them because their midfield control is so good. And that's the point of a 4-3-3, yeah. right? Like you have three midfielders really covering ground and controlling that space. And I, so I can see that part of it. But the devil's advocate in me also has to say that Remy Voltaire is the best ground-covering six we've had, period. He covers more ground than any of them by a wide margin. Yeah. And I, so if you're talking about a guy that's going to run around and put out fires, he's probably the closest thing we've had to something like that. Busio is not that player. Busio is more of a he's more of a distributor right. from that position and he can get caught in transition. Um, that said, Busio might be in serious C next year, the way that Venezia is playing right now. So, I mean, come June, he may be looking for a loan somewhere. Um I don't. I don't know. I, I. I understand what you're saying. I think that this team needs a center back more than it needs a defensive midfielder. Personally, I think it needs a defensive midfielder. I think they will sign somebody. But if you're asking my crystal crystal ball, sort of like looking at what's going on and reading between the lines, I would not be surprised in the least if they get Fontes back on a very club friendly deal. I, he's the guy who plays all the time. He plays all the time, and he yeah. candidly over the last four after over the last four weeks has been pretty good. I mean, he still gets beat in the same way he always gets beat, but th- that's been the case for him his entire career. Otherwise, he has been quite good at center back, and he moves over to the right and plays alongside Volader both in um, the second half of um, the Minnesota game as well as most of the DC game. 
he and he he did very well. There's a reason that they trust him to do that stuff. EC, I don't think they have that faith or trust in him. I think they're going to decline EC's option. So my, just reading between the lines, I think that there's a high likelihood that Fontas resigns on a club-friendly deal. They jettison EC. They've got that you know, 1.5 million or so to spend on another center back and a six. And the reality is, you know, Jose Martinez isn't some high-paid player. Like, right. You can I find know. these kinds of players. <laughs> I think I think they will. I think they will sign someone at that position. I don't know if it's going to be some like earth-shattering guy. That, and it, generally, it's not with this team. None of us knew who the fuck Willie Agata was before. Yeah. Eight weeks sure. ago. Now look at it. You know what I mean. But and but we, uh, you but, and I were on this podcast talking about like, can this guy that barely got to, that was playing for a relegation team in the Israeli league actually make this yeah. work? And then you see what kind of player he is. So I, we're gonna get that kind of guy coming in because that's just how this team scouts and works. And you know we're gonna have to hope that they get it right. Because there's no DP number six coming in. Yeah, I, not I, buying out Polito. Yeah, and either. I don't think that there should be um, um, at all. I think I would be comfortable with with spending high tam money on on a player like that. But but even at that price, it has to be more of a sure thing. I mean, we're we're spending what 450k on uh, on um, on on Uri, and that's that's far too much money. Um, for that amount of money, we should have a, uh, a a starting quality, borderline elite defensive midfielder. If we're going to use our offseason buyout on anyone, it's him. Yeah. Amen. It should be used hey, on. Amen. From your mouth to Vermees' ears, man. <laughs> I mean, for real. Like, that. that's that's where you can get 450 grand back yeah. in the kitty and use it more effectively. Personally, that's – I mean, that's just a personal opinion, but I, I just – I feel like – um, I feel like that there is a need at center back to have a in a center back that is an aerial. I mean, is that player not? Is that not player. Courtney Ford? It is, but um, I don't know that we have a big enough sample size of Courtney Ford to know if that he can do that for thirty-four games. I mean, he I he mean, looked he looked pretty good before his suspension. Well, but he got injured before his suspension. Uh, yeah, that's true. So, like, we don't know if he can do 34. Yeah. I mean, it's been a long time since he's had a full season of ML. I don't know if he's had a full season of anything. Yeah. He played, like, 17 matches for San, for San Antonio. And don't get me wrong, I like a lot of the things I see about Courtney Ford, but he's a bit of a wild card, in my opinion. And and so, like, that's my I mean, thing. I mean, it's to like, be fair, so would anybody you sign. Um, not, not Alexander Kayans. I mean, they're not going to sign him. Come on. He's going to be a free agent? Yeah, but... That's a that's that's taking a lot of money and throwing it right back at that well, position. I, like, I think that if, I if, I think they're going to move away from that. I hope they will. Yeah, I don't know that they will, but I I, I think it's more important for I I understand what you're talking about about building out the spine. I think that they I think that they can bring in another six that could or that, that they think is you know good that is in the mid tam range right so, so, so six hundred to eight hundred grand a year. And then they could find a center back in that six hundred to a million a mm-hmm. year, and spend that money that way. Yeah. And I think that that is a reasonable way to go about doing it, where you've you've strengthened the spine, but you also have opportunities for the other players. Because, uh, candidly, Robbie Volader played great against DC. He was fantastic. Not just the goal, but his play in general. He was hit the 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 through balls he was hitting the long balls he was hitting like there were a few of them i was getting mad at the players for not finishing the runs because he saw the run and would hit it and they just stop 
and like the, he's he's a really good player, and I think long term he's gonna be really good. But um, I don't think he's an everyday player right now. So you've got to have, and at center back you can't, you got to have some consistency at center back, in my opinion. I don't think you can just fly guys through. No, I, I think and I think a lot of the problem that the team has had at center back this year, um, and and a lot of the problem. Frankly, in the in the whole first half of the year, uh, you know what's what's happening up the field with with uh, our DP players aside was was the fact that there was never a firm partnership between EC and Fontas. And game after game, we saw them do things that you know were kind of uh, <laughs> like eyebrow raising and even you know head shaking. Um, and uh, a lot of what a lot of establishing a a a a very good pair of center backs is is having guys two guys who can work together who who can read each other who can cover for one another uh, whose skills and and attitudes complement one another. This is why you know Aurelian Collin and Matt Beesler together were so effective. And uh, this is also why um, um, Icopara and Matt Beasler were so effective. And I think that for a lot of, of this season, um, and heck, maybe even still, um, those are the two center backs that are on the team have had a really hard time um, really, f- you know, forming that bond and, and building that rapport with one another. It's weird because they're such similar players that you would expect them to be able to do that, but. You're right. It's just the partnership hasn't been there. That's that's one of the most striking things about last year when we had Elie playing center back alongside Fontas is they did obviously have that partnership. I mean, part of it comes with their just personal familiarity with each yeah. other, being from Barcelona and all the things. So that but, that's an excellent point, and it just underlines what I was saying. I mean, on paper, you wouldn't really predict for that to be a, a an elite center back pairing, but in reality, it it was close to that. And and the reason it was is because those guys were on the same page all the time. Yeah. So that's why I'm saying is like I from what I see from the club, it feels to me like they trust Fontas and what he's doing implicitly. I don't think that they have the same faith in EC. And so I think that there's some look, I I, I see where your 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 head's going with this and I, I understand the frustration level with it. But I don't. I think that there is a part of this that is related to club unity. There's a part sure. of this that's related to you know um, locker room yeah. stuff. And there always and is, whatnot. and there should be. I mean, that's important and, too. And by all accounts that I can perceive, Fontas is loved inside that locker yeah. room. Like they will. They, he is super, like super tight with everyone. He is a big part of a lot of those guys, like their personal lives, all that kind of stuff. He is a big part of that locker room. And I don't think he wants to leave. And I think that he'll be willing to take a pay cut to stay. And I think that the coaching staff likes him. Yeah. And I think all of those things. And, and so that's what I'm saying is like, if he takes a pay cut, like he gets half what he's making now. I don't think I have a problem with that, honestly. And then you bring in one new center back and you've got, then you've got your four that you legitimately kind of roll with. I think that's okay. If that allows you 800000 or a million to spend on a, a six, which I think I think they can make that work. I mean, they um, should be able to. I mean, the, the, it's it's concerning to trust 
they haven't really proven that they can do that. Aside from Ilya, they haven't really proven that they can uh, that they can really identify long-term solutions at that, uh, or even you know even even bringing in um, other players, uh, backups, for instance. I mean, uh, sure, Roselle can be a backup, but that's not what I mean. Uh, I mean someone who you know maybe that they can develop into the player that they need in that position. Well, and therein lies the problem, and this is the point you were making earlier. Spending four hundred fifty grand a year on a backup six is pretty stupid yeah. in this league. Like, yeah. they they have they have three other guys that can play that position mm-hmm. on the roster already. Yeah. You know, and we I mean, still you know, we still never saw Felipe p- play that position uh, for, for right, the, but Felipe, Jake Davis, and Valtteri no, but I, but I'm saying but I'm saying like like why why not why didn't we ever see that you know even 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 well, even when things were super bad we never saw that. Yeah, Felipe is pretty dangerous in attack, yeah. but I, I I we never really so got to so see is him when so alongside Cam I mean Duke. so is Voltaire honestly. Yeah, and Voltaire might have been so, more professional about finding those spaces than Felipe. Felipe I think struggled to get the ball at his feet in those places when he was playing with Cam Duke next yeah. to him. Uh, candidly, when we see him play with Eric Tommy, there's a completely different player on the field. Yeah. You get to see the Felipe that we all saw up in the up through the first half of last year, and you're like, oh, this guy's here making making runs into the box from the corner and taking shots. Yeah. And you you see the guy that you know is really ground covering and turning the other team over and creating events that, and then Tommy like playing off it. You see how much Tommy lifts the quality yeah. of the players yeah. around him. He really does. Um, so maybe, so maybe let's talk about that a little bit. Wait, well, you, before you before little... before you move on, I just want to talk about uh, uh, Voltaire for just a sec. If you, I mean, if you look at his numbers uh, for twenty twenty two, just this season, uh, in comparison to you know the other sort of defensive midfielders in the league, like he's not he. He, he performed well for Sporting Kansas City in this system, but he's not even approaching uh, an elite-level player in, in almost any metric, uh, and especially the ones that matter. Like, he, he, he's okay in possession. He's a very good mid-range uh, passer, which is, I mean, all that sort of tracks with what we know about him. Um, he's good at, like, intercepting the ball. That's, a, that's great. He's not, uh, he's not a great tackler. He's, not, um, he's okay in aerial duels. Um, he 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 gets beaten on the dribble um, um, uh, at a high rate, and so like those are those are the kind of things that make me think. You know, when you when you when you look at those sort of advanced statistics on on a site like FB Ref, it really makes me think that that maybe that's not the solution, and that that we really need somebody who's um, who's a, a little bit you know, more defensively uh, oriented than Voltaire is. And and especially if you're going to have Fontas on the back line, um, he, you don't need an excellent passing number six because he's the passer. He's the deep line playmaker. It's, it's just not a six. It's, it's the, it's the center back. Uh, but you do need someone to provide that defensive cover. Uh, so that's, that's uh, all I wanted to say about, about Voltaire. And the only counterpoint I would give you is that he compares fairly similarly to Elie Sanchez. So if yeah. you look at those two, I'm just saying that they're they're not that different. And so when you look but at we, those types but, of but, players, but we know that Sanchez is a far more creative passer. Sure. So absolutely. No, I I mean I'm just saying if you're looking at the numbers, yeah. that that's the kind of stuff that comes out. 
all of that said, I'm not. I'm, I'm playing devil's advocate more than anything. Yeah, I gotcha. I want them to sign. I want them to sign a six as well. I think that they will sign a six. I don't think it's going to be some earth-shattering multi-million-dollar player at that position, which is okay. Yeah, that would that um, would surprise I, me. <laughs> that that would be more of a surprise than practically anything. Honestly, that's just not the way the team but, works. I do think they will sign a six because I do think that Peter agrees with both of us that Voltaire is more useful higher up the yeah. field. Um, okay, so talking about Eric Tommy, um, this is obviously a um, player that has added a significant amount to this team, not just in his personal production, but in what he has unlocked for the players around him. So you did a little bit of research. I think you happened upon this while researching something else, which we'll get to <laughs> later, um, that um, Eric Tommy has, uh, you, you happened upon some, some comparative stats in FB ref, just kind of on his um, ability to help create shots and create goals. That was fairly eye opening. He's like the best at everything. You know, he's like in, in, in 98th and 99th percentile in, in, all of, uh, not all of them, but just about uh, every advanced attacking metric. Um, and it, it really does make him appear like one of the absolute best uh, midfielders in the league. And uh, it's, it's, it's amazing, honestly. Um, and it, it's, it, I mean, you know it if you watch the games because it's been a, a long time. I can't even remember when the last sporting player I saw that just looked like, heads above everybody else on the field like a better player and he and he looks like that so often so many times uh since he's been signed you know you're 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 after the game you're talking about it and it's like that player stands out as by far the best player on on the pitch uh it's amazing (laughs) it's amazing to think that that i mean that's a player that you know wasn't really even able to break into uh um um the you know a, a starting spot in the Bundesliga and and he's coming here and he's bossing games and and it's not like you know at, at this point uh, teams have some idea of what to expect from him but it doesn't matter he's still doing it and uh, it's really 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 impressive to see the things that um, you know like you said that you that, that, that jump out are like all of these attacking metrics which are great too but the other part that I noticed when I was looking at it is his um, counter pressing is also extremely yeah. good. So like all of the statistics about tackles in the attacking third, pressures in the attacking third, successful pressure percentage, like all that kind of stuff is like super high level. So not only is he doing all these things that help create goals and create shots and whatnot at an extremely high level, which I'll get to how extremely high level it is here in a second. He's also um, doing the defensive work at the same time. And that's a huge part of what Vermees needs from that position. Um, a few people have said this already, and I think I might have said this to you. He's the best ten we've had since Phil Aubrey. Yeah. This, I mean, yeah, like easily. he looks like he he looks. You know, they're not a, they're not the same type of player. Yeah. Like Benny's not Benny's not going to progressively carry the ball the same way that Tommy does. But um, Benny's a lot more a little bit more of a creative player than Tommy is. But he's by far the mo- the best ten they've had at that position consistently than, than fail And the thing that I find interesting is that um, he's doing it in this sort of eight, 10 position where he's got a lot of defensive responsibilities as well. And so when you compare him against just regular midfielders, he looks insanely good. Yeah. Right. 
But you can even compare him against teams that play a 10. Yeah. And he looks com- comparable. That is, Not quite at the same level. That is wild. But comparable. Yeah. yeah, so I actually pulled it up. I, I compared him to, like, Bebelo Reynoso and Lucas Zellerayan. And he's not quite there. Like, he's within a couple tenths in the shot-creating actions and mm-hmm. the, the goal-creating actions. But that's what I'm saying. Per 90, obviously. We're looking at this in per 90 basis um, because Tommy's obviously only played 10 games. But in this season, his per 90 numbers for shot-creating actions, goal-creating actions, all of that stuff are within, you know, 1% or 2% yeah. of Lucas Zellerion and Bebelo Reynoso, which is something else to me. Uh, in a position where he doesn't just get to sit there and hang out and pick out Absolutely. passes. And the, the, um, the amazing thing, too, is that, um, it, you know, so, so it, it's, it's further uh, a demonstration of his, uh, his soccer IQ, which is another thing we've talked about before. The, 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 the fact that he can, um, a lot of his, of his success in counterpressing has to do with where he is on the field. Uh, I mean, we've seen players at that position kind of just run around and press. It's, that's you know, you can you can just run around and put a lot of energy into it and not really be that effective. Uh, but that's not what he does. He he um, he starts in a good position and he he presses uh, with uh, intelligence and savvy and and it makes it's just another one of those things that he has um, in his repertoire that make him good but also raises the level of the team around him it's yeah that's the part that i was going to touch yeah. on too is the secondary part is is that everyone around him plays better when he's on the absolutely field. um which is not Felipe which is not Hernandez. is not necessarily the case with someone like reynoso i mean i mean those guys we you know we minnesota looked hapless without him they looked like they had no idea what to do uh especially on offense they when you have a player who you just like give him the ball and let him do the work and then that player's not there anymore um uh they it doesn't work right and the impressive thing about tommy is it's all functioning within the system um and and it's and like you said it's just making every everybody better making the system run more smoothly well, and I think that you you hit on the thing. It's like, how can he possibly? How could this guy be this good? And you know, fall to sporting. I, first of all, I think they paid a fair amount to get him. Um, I think they they squeezed every last amount of allocation money that they had to get him on the roster. Which thank you, Busio. Good for them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. And 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 to be fair, they should have. If this mm-hmm. is the player that they were going for, you absolutely yeah. you make that move. Um, but also, as we know, he hasn't played two thousand minutes in a long, long yeah. time. <laughs> And all, and as well as um, you know, he may just not have been in the greatest situation for his skill set. Yeah. Um, when he came into the team, they said that he was a midfielder. They said that he was not a winger. That he was a midfielder, and everybody was like, ah, "I don't know. I'm looking at I'm looking at transfer market." And they say, "Well, you know, this is why you have scouts and coaches yeah. doing this, and not got not not internet I mean, his, looking his, at transfer his market." His highlight reel was all uh, from the wing. You know, I thought for yeah. sure he was the Daniel Shallowy replacement. Well, I mean, he cuts in quite yeah. a bit, even even from the midfield position, he cuts in. But you can see that he is a creative player that can play off people. He doesn't need to be at the far. He doesn't need to be on the the, the touch line to do it. Um, but that's what I'm saying is like it's just it's so stark how much better the midfield plays when he's there. Yeah. And um, the interesting thing that I found about it is that I believe that the coaching staff thinks that. Gadikinda is still above him in quality. 
and I don't know that I agree with that, but um, it, it's I, this guy is playing out of his mind. I think that there's a point in time, and I talked to you about this before we started recording. There's a point in time where the sample size will catch up with him a little bit. I think that once the you know there's enough scouting tape on him, especially starting next season. You know, there's only two more two games left this year, but starting next season, they're going to know a little bit more what to look for when he's on the field. And I think that that will, you know, limit his effectiveness somewhat. Also, the last few opponents that we've played have not been the most sound in the midfield. So I think that there's, you know, reasons. You talking trash on Will Trap? Come on, man. <laughs> he absolutely <laughs> abused Will Trap. Will Trap? Well, oh no, Remy Voltaire abused Will uh-huh. Trap, and then he did yeah. too. Yeah, <laughs> Will Trap tried to press Remy Voltaire. He just shrugged him off his back, like, "What are you doing? Get off me." Little man. <laughs> um, <laughs> speaking of, yeah, you, I think you had texted me some. I remember when Will Trapp was supposed to be the truth for the U.S. Men's no, National No, no, it wasn't supposed to be. Like, he was. Like, like he was getting well, called in. That's, no, there that were, was according to Matt Doyle. There were no other, I mean, there were no other options. Uh, that's how much the, the pool has shifted in, in like, well, in four years, Well, that's because Tyler Adams years. was still 17. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> right. I mean, that had something to do with it. I mean, Tyler Adams was playing with the U-17s at that point. So that had something to do with why that was the case. But, yeah, I mean, Kellen Acosta was there. He was available yeah. that whole time. Um, anyway, I, I, uh, I've just very, I've been very impressed with this play. And I, the, the big thing with him that I really enjoy is that he progresses the ball. Like, he'll, he'll either carry it or he'll pass it. But he does both of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, he's not necessarily Mr. Technical sit at the top of the box and drop a dime. That's not what he's doing, but his movement is what creates space. And he, and it, and his teammates are fairly successful at moving off of him. And, um, it's been a a, a delight to watch. He's, he's he's the, the perfect midfielder for this system. Honestly, that's why, Mm -hmm. that's why the team just looks so much different, uh, with him out there because he's able to he's able to combine with with Shallowy and Ben Sweat um, at uh, in that sort of you know half space on the left hand side, and you know they, their rapport is really good him and Shallowy and uh, you know one will over overlap one will underlap they play off each other really really well and and they put each other in the box all the time and. Uh, that's not something that we were seeing in the first half of the season. We were hardly in the box at all. Um, even getting one player in the box was uh, was like a feat, you know. And um, um, and now we are able to to unsettle defenses and get multiple attackers in the box. And that's when you find success. It sounds so simple. Cool. It does sound simple, but it, it and then when you have a striker making the near or mm, far post run, mm. when that person gets into that place, <laughs> that. All the things come together, and all of us become more happy. Tommy, Tommy, uh, is, Tommy is great, but I freaking love Willie Agata. He's just—I mean, who doesn't love Willie? I mean, Agata? he's the most lovable I mean, guy. He's—he's he's just great, man. He is. Wow. I will say that uh, Vermes talked about it in the post game, and I saw Z in the field club after the game. He said the same thing. They're, they're, the coaches were just enamored with the way he went after that goal. Yeah. In the first half against Minnesota, yeah. because he's like he's like just. Most guys won't they won't go in that yeah. hard because they know they could get hit in the face. Yep. Like legitimately because Dane Sinclair is going for the double-fisted yep. punch, and you can absolutely just get cleaned out. And I don't even know that – I mean, it wouldn't be a red card. It wouldn't be – I mean, they're inside the six. Like it would – it might – I don't even think it would be a penalty. Probably not. I think it would 
it would it would just be a coming together. Rest love goalkeepers, and, uh, man. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, goalkeeper practically has to ship somebody to get a card, man. Did you see Sinclair rolling around on the ground afterward, acting like he got fouled? Yeah. Maybe he maybe he sprained a wrist or something. Come on. <laughs> Willie's head was so hard that he like broke his hand trying to punch through it. Yeah, but it's it's, it's a dangerous header to go after, and uh, some guys will pull out of that. In fact, most guys will pull out of that. They won't go in that hard. And he's like, nope, I'm going for goal. Yeah, his his um, his willingness and ability to attack the ball in the air is, um, I mean, it's kind of Dom Dwyer esque, like when Dom was was really um, on one here in Kansas City, and uh, the, uh, uh, it it's just it's such a weapon, you know, and um, the having <laughs> having having someone who's an excellent crosser like your buddy Ben Sweat uh, and especially you know there were there were a couple times where you know uh, Sweat would hit that sort of early cross like you know like 10 yards after crossing uh, the midfield line and just you know bang that sucker to the to the front post that is um, that is a really really hard uh, uh, play to defend against uh, and you know you see like like teams like you know teams like Liverpool and teams like um, um, uh, Manchester City who who are able to play those balls like that early um, and uh, it's it, I mean it's 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 basically a counterattacking goal even though even if it's not you know and um, it's mm-hmm. it's uh, it's really great and I I just even when it doesn't come off I just love seeing that uh, because it's not something that we've seen a lot of. Well, and that's the thing. It's like we, we, you know, he he didn't score for the last few games, and I think that some people were getting like, oh, well, it was just the flash in the pan, you know, whatever stuff. And I'm like, no, the guy was getting in all the same spots. He had a couple headers yeah. that he had he had scored mm-hmm. on um, in previous games, and I'm like, this is what happens. He was outperforming mm-hmm. his xG pretty pretty significantly in the first five or six matches that he played, or. At the first five or six matches he started when he really started getting on this run, I think he's played eight and or started eight and played yes. ten. I think the first the first you know few matches he was sort of outperforming his xG a little bit and everything was going in. We saw a couple of those ones where he like curled it around yeah, his yeah, body yeah. a couple times. So it's like those are not high percentage shots. Yep. Those aren't going to go in all the time. So inevitably he was going to regress to the mean a little bit on his xG, but we could see that he was getting into the places. And as long as he keeps getting into the places, he's going to start putting those back yeah. in. And that's exactly what happened against Minnesota. He got into those places. In fact, he had a sitter header at the beginning mm-hmm. of this match that he missed. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he just sat there and hit it, and he just happened to hit it straight at Sinclair. Um, and so, but then he gets, the, he gets the goal right before halftime. And then on the whole sequence where he scored the goal, this is just such great stuff from him because the ball, both... The, the Eric Tommy goal and this and the, the fourth goal, these were on recycled plays. It looked like they were going to be something. They got blocked or whatever, and they recycled back out. And he saw Shallowy make the turn around the corner and immediately made and immediately stepped back and started running back to the running back to the far post. And then he just he just passes it into the into the far corner. So and these are the kind of runs we just have not been seeing from center forward, and, and that you and I have been like begging for, <laughs> like on our yes. on our knees begging. But but the fact is, the fact is, is it's it's really hard to teach players to do this. 
so much of of like this thing that strikers do, uh, being in the right time and making the right runs and timing the runs right and and playing off of of chance creators. Like so much of that is like this sort of innate thing. Like you either have it or you don't. And I know that that sounds silly, but man, I'm telling you, uh, I. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, the the timing at which that it has to occur in professional soccer is so finite yeah. like it's very specific it is very it's minute like you you really do have to be like very crisp with your timing um i don't think people understand how good robert Lewandowski is at this like how unreal good he is at it yeah like finding the right space and yeah. the right time and knowing how to get to it um and then you also have to have players that can deliver the pass yeah. but that's the thing is sporting has those guys yeah, yeah absolutely. they can deliver that pass and um, we've just been struggling to get it on the end of somebody. Yeah. And there's just been a whole lot of near misses for a while. And um, with, with Agata, we don't have that problem. He gets on it. So he's not going to score every time he gets on it. But he gets there. And that's what you need. Yeah, absolutely. Because a professional, a professional striker is going to finish those at a rate that's going to be good. I mean, Agata's already got seven goals and two assists. He's even with Daniel Shallowy yeah. in goal and assist production yeah. in eight starts. Like, I, I, he's he's and he's not outperforming his XG. That's like right in line with what his XG is over that time frame. Well, and what I shared with you before before we started recording is that if you if you compare, so so Agata's played in um, in he started eight, uh, eight games and played in ten overall, right? Tati Castellanos mm-hmm. before he left in 2022 played I think ten games, and they are like. Their 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 um their non penalty xg is like right there within a couple percentage uh tenths of a percentage point uh, of one another and so that just uh, that just underscores like like uh Agata is is playing that position uh, at least right now in the short window that that we've seen him uh, he's playing it at like at literally an elite level right and mm-hmm. um. And he deserves a lot of credit, and uh, the team deserves the the club deserves uh, a lot of credit for finding him and 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 bringing him in, and um, uh, and the fact that you that you that you got Tommy and Agata in the same window um, is just uh, I mean that's like hitting I mean that's like hitting back to back grand slams is what it appears it's it's really amazing, mm-hmm. um, and I think that. It's just it underscores, you know, just what his production level has been. And he he's I, I don't know that um that, you know, I I agree with all of the chatter happening and you know, this is something that Doyle started uh on Twitter yesterday or the day before, talking about the fact that they should buy out Polito and open up a DP slot and use it on a center back and um, you know, just get some other random backup for Agata at center forward and just roll with it. I don't know if after two months I'm ready to make that call. Um, there's, you know, Tom Bogart also talked about this on the Sporting KC show this week. It's like, look, you know, I really, I, I love Willie as a player. Everything I can see him doing is stuff that's repeatable, right? Like if you know how to do these things, it's repeatable stuff that you can expect that he'll continue to repeat doing. Right. Like if you if he's going to be this hungry and making these runs and all that stuff, you expect that he's going to continue doing it. So I think he's always going to be a good player for us. 
but you also have to expect that good teams are going to figure out how to try to defend him, how to try to block him from making those runs, uh, limit his effectiveness. So there's going to be, you know, an expectation at some point this is this is going to be limited, just like Eric Tommy's effectiveness mm-hmm. is going to be limited. And um, I'm of the opinion that Alan Polito in a contract year coming off a knee injury is going to be playing his ass off. Yeah. Right? I, like, his... He's he's got his last shot at a legitimate decent contract yeah. after next year, and so he need he's going to be ready. And I think that competition's going to be good. I think that there's going to be opportunities to do some different stuff. I don't think that Vermees will necessarily do it, but there are some opportunities to do maybe a four four two diamond or something like that. That that would be kind of it wouldn't be totally zero chance. Totally different <laughs> zero chance. I know. I know. There's. There's no chance it happens, um, but the, but still, I don't think it's the worst thing in the world to have both have two good center forwards. No, you should want your team. You bad. should want your team to have as many good players as possible, right? Because <laughs> you don't you don't have to have like just one good player at, at at forward, especially especially given you know that people get injured. You know, um, mm-hmm. you. you you, why would you? Why would you put all your eggs in the Agata basket? Exhibit, right, exhibit A, right. Twenty twenty two. I just hope. I just hope Agata really gets, uh, really gets Polito, um, uh, like going competition wise, and uh, uh, P- Polito really needs to to hit the gym and and work on his abs, and they need to be able to have like an ad, ab off because Agata's abs you are insane. Do you think Polito doesn't hit the gym? <laughs> no, yeah, I know he, no, I know, I know he does, but Come man, on. Agata's abs are like, holy crap. I don't even... <laughs> I think... I think Zach Cobb said uh, uh, for your for his birthday he was going to get him one. Off. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. Somebody somebody else said that they would like pay money to watch him eat carbs, just destroy it, just destroy a bunch of carbs. Man, <laughs> the man has some very defined abs. No. There's no doubt about that. Um, yeah. So I, I think and a beautiful that, smile. Let's not objectify. So yeah. Yeah, he uh, absolutely not. We're not we're not objectifiers of of, uh, of personal physique on this podcast. Um, I think that you know there. I think that again, having options. We talked about this over and over. These guys aren't going to be performing at this level forever. MLS is a league where you don't have players that perform at this level forever. If they could perform at this level for forever, they'd be playing for Liverpool and Manchester City and places yeah. like that. There's going to be ebbs and flows in form. And you need you need to have options at that point in time. It's good to have those options. Well, it's important to remember um, too the whole point, you know, allegedly of bringing in these you know uh, these twenty two um, these young players. I know that he's that uh, that Agata is not a twenty two and under player, but but you know when you sign young players, uh, you know at least part of your idea is that you can sell them on. And so why would you why would you, you know why would you buy out Polito just to maybe then have to sell Agata on and have nothing. Uh, if, if, if Agata continues to perform and, you know, some team in the Bundesliga wants him, then you have, you have options. Exactly. Yeah. I, I, you, and you, you need to play that kind of 4D chess. Yeah. Where you're thinking a couple steps ahead if you have a player of that quality. I think it's less likely that Eric Tommy, like people are going to come calling right, for him. Right, because he's That's older. Some crazy, yeah, and they know who he yeah. is, right? They've seen him. But Agata, I mean, could be someone that if he has a, if he has a 2023 like he's having now, yeah. they're going to come calling sure for will. sure. So, uh, so wait. A 23-year-old that's playing at that uh-huh. level, for sure. 
You're saying you're saying then that that Matt Doyle sucks at 4D chess. That's what you're saying. <laughs> Matt Doyle is a prisoner of the moment <laughs> in a lot of circumstances, in my opinion. I, I agree. You heard it here. Somebody somebody is gonna somebody's gonna say you know at him on Twitter or something. But I think he's a prisoner of the moment. I don't think he's looking that far down the road. I think he has too many teams to pay attention to. That's what I think. Yeah. Which, yeah, I, if I was trying to watch 28 teams and have a reasonable thought about any of them, I, I would totally fail. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I get it. Um, so let's talk about my guy, Ben Sweat, for just a second. Because you I, you said this, you know, your, your buddy, Ben Sweat. I, I would say that I just have been pleasantly surprised yeah. at his... Um, at what he's added to the team over the past few weeks, especially against teams where they've been, you know, had the ball a lot and he's been able to deal from the side. Um, the guy has by far the best delivery of any fullback, I think, in MLS. I don't know that I can think of another fullback in MLS wow. that delivers a ball as consistently well as he does. Um, and, I mean, it's a it's a ball that, like, attackers like to hit yep. you know what yep. i mean like it, it's it's on time with the right amount of pace just all that kind of and stuff. his his delivery is unpredictable too which is something that mm-hmm. that uh luis martin's really 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 struggled with no luis was the same thing every time yeah. i go all the way down yeah. to the touch line and then i just swing it back yeah. to the top of the six like that was the same thing over and over um sweat can do it on the ground he can do it with a cross he can do it in a variety of different ways um, and I saw him chip a guy and put somebody through. Like he's just—he's a, a very technical player. He's obviously got a very good left foot. Um, don't ask him to do stuff with his right, but he's got a very good left foot. And I think that when I've seen in Denbe the past couple games that he's played, when he didn't have COVID or when you know he was able to play, and granted he wasn't in the team a ton, so this might have something to do with it. I didn't feel like he was very effective. Definitely not in the attacking half. Yeah, so I thought I've, I thought he was a minus in the attacking half, honestly. I mean, unfortunately for Ndembe, while his injury coincided with the team completely morphing into something that was different, right? Ndembe, you know, in the previous iteration of the team, when we had to start uh, Duke and and Hernandez, the team was a lot more direct, a lot less. Um, a lot less priority put on possession uh, and and uh, interplay, um, and uh, and that made Ndembe one of the one of the key players on the team because one thing that Ndembe, Ndembe does is progress the ball uh, mostly by carrying it, and he is he is one of the best fullbacks in the league in his in in his limited time here of of moving the ball forward, um, and. Uh, um, the problem with him is is that his final ball is lacking and um and he does you know he loses the ball um a, a, a lot which is what happens when you dribble a lot you're going to lose the ball a lot uh but but the fact is is that is that Ben Sweat is a completely different player uh but but his the the way that the team is playing now uh really um really showcases Ben Sweat's skills um Ben Sweat without Willie Agata is nowhere near uh, as as effective. Of course not. No, I totally agree. And and you could see it in the beginning of the half of the season yep. when Sweat was in there, um, his ball delivery was not falling to the right, was not being utilized. Yeah. Let's put it that way. So um, and and that's because you don't have a center forward making those runs. You don't have other people like moving to the box in the right way. So I'm just saying that you can see. 
what the plan was when they signed Sweat. Sure. Like, you, you, you can see it now because the team is playing the way that Vermees would want them to play. Mm-hmm. And you can see how his attributes accentuate that play. Yeah. Um, whereas in Den Bay, like you said, is much more much more of a down the line fullback. Is going to carry it down the line, but like you said, has been found out that if you can pinch him against the line, you can take the ball off him yeah. too. And um, so that's what I'm saying. I just I I think that part of it too is a 22 year old kid that hasn't you know played a lot with the team in this iteration, mm-hmm. and you know injuries and all the different stuff have happened that have caused him not to get to play that much, and he just needs a little bit more playing time. And I'm I'm fine with that too. Um, I think that that's true of all the young players that we have on the yeah. team. Um, they they need more time they, to to really get partnerships and and play more to be able to 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 get to the level that we need them to. They lack that sophistication that we've talked about, and that you know that is something that very few really young players have. Those young players that have that are playing for the top clubs in the world, and and or they wear num- or they wear wear number six for the galaxy. <laughs> Man, that guy is so much fun to watch. <laughs> He's so good, man. Oh, He's so, so good. He's so much better than anyone else on that team. I, it's not even funny how much better he is. It's so embarrassing to, to like want to watch the Galaxy. To be like, oh, I'm going to watch them because, you know, because of who they have. That's, uh, I, I, that hasn't been... did he have two more assists this weekend? I mean, he just... Uh... He's amazing. He's, For he's, those of he, you that don't know, we're talking about Ricky Pooch. And um, he's another one of those players that he just like jumps days. out at you when you watch, you know, and and um, that doesn't that doesn't happen a lot in professional soccer, right? <laughs> For the most part, you know, they're all professionals. They're they're all generally at a high level, and and it's just amazing when you see when you see a player who's just like head and shoulders above uh, everybody it, else. It typically doesn't happen in MLS for sure. Yeah. Usually signings take a minute, especially young players. Mm-hmm. It takes them a minute. And that's the thing that we're, that we're so surprised by with Tommy and Agata is like yeah. how quickly they were able to jump right in. And, and it shows that the scouting department did a good job yeah. finding guys with the right attributes for how the way, how they wanted to play. But additionally, just the quality of the guys they brought in and their abilities um, and their want yeah. to just get after. They're guys that fit. They're um, guys that fit. They fit. They fit um, but psychologically. They the right but that's what I mean. Yeah, they, yeah. they they fit attitude wise and they fit um, on the field. Great guys. Yeah. Um, so I just think that um, I'm not as upset about the fact that Ben Sweat's going to be back next year as I might have been halfway through this no. season. I mean, he does have, he does, he's, you know, he's not perfect. He has uh, uh, flaws in his game, and uh, I'm I'm still surprised that teams um, don't attack him more, especially teams that have speed on the wings. Maybe they will, maybe they won't, I don't know. I mean, maybe he, maybe his positioning is, is so good that he takes a lot of that away. Uh, I don't see that when I watch uh games and even when i'm you know focusing on in on him specifically uh but we'll see uh so far so good i i mean it he's one of the things it makes me nervous having him and Fontas next to one another because you know they're not like they're not the most like speedy athletic guys and and but you know but you know who else is on the back line is not just ec but it's also caden pierre Caden Pierre is sitting back in a yeah, that's position true. a lot. That's true. Sometimes he sometimes he flips with Roger. If Roger's on the right side, he'll flip mm-hmm. with him sometimes if he gets high. But K, KP's been sitting back in that Zussi position a fair bit. And that guy can run down anybody. And he did it uh, several times in the last couple of games. Like, he played very, very well uh, against yeah. Minnesota. Mm-hmm. 
and not in a like jump off the stat sheet kind of way just in a covering and in a solid way way. and that's that's what you want that's for for a young young player like him um that's almost more impressive than than anything else it's just having a solid solid outing uh against I mean, Minnesota's a playoff team. You know, maybe that's not the hugest deal because a lot of teams make the playoffs, but they're not terrible, um, generally speaking, only when they're missing Reynoso, I guess. But uh, KP did a, a really, really good job. He's uh, the the most defensively solid fullback we've had in some time. Like, he's a really good defender, yeah. which I was I was not really expecting. I wasn't sure where his skill level will be on that. Uh, 1v1 he's good but he's just a really like smart like he knows when to get back mm-hmm. and how to position himself in defense and, and cut off angles for the shooter if he's 1v1 just all the things that you're supposed to do as a defender he he does very well and he's fast I'm he's fast as hell too man he's so fast well, yeah I mean wow. that, he's got that I mean he's got that in the locker yeah. too which is nice uh, but he he's also a smart player yeah which which I think uh, a smart defender for sure um I'm kind of surprised he didn't get called into the U20s for these games. I don't know why he didn't get called in. Yeah, I don't know. He hasn't been called in the last couple times, so I'm not quite sure what's going on with that. I mean, the last time he was playing because Zussi was hurt, I think that Peter said, hey, um, can we keep him here so he can play? But this time, you know, we're in a break, so I'm kind of surprised that he's not in there. But anyway... um, I you you have you have extended well. beyond my uh, attention. I, I I did not I did not even, <laughs> didn't even I didn't even realize the U twenties were were playing right now. So they uh, play they played Peru tonight. They were up. I think they won three to one. Oh wow! Um, a bunch of players you never heard before yeah. were in the game. Um, Diego Luna and um, oh, uh, Rokas uh, Puxtas was, was uh, one all right. in the United States in that game. Former Sporting Kansas City Academy player. Yeah. Um, so one thing I wanted to touch on, um, there was a lot of rotation in the DC match. I know you didn't get to watch this match, but, um, Kyrie started at center forward and looked pretty good. And I think, you know, Peter had made mention of this when they've talked about, you know, they've asked, they've, they've asked the question in press conferences, how do you find a place for all these players? You know, all that kind of stuff. He's like, look, I think, I think competition is good. He's like, I think competition is how you get the best out of players. If they have to really work hard to get into their position, they will inevitably start doing more things. And, I mean, I'm paraphrasing what he's saying, but competition is what brings the best out of players. And Kyrie candidly had his best game at center forward all year against D.C. He was making positive runs. He made a positive run on the goal that he sort of tapped home that was was the Chinese Schross. I'm not quite sure what it was. Um, but But the goal he got on, he was making the right run. Like he was, he was doing, he was doing the right thing there, and he did that several times. So I, I would say that you know, from that perspective, maybe a dose of Willie Agata for two months kind of showed him, hey, these are some things I need to be working on or paying attention to. Which you know, good. I mean, I think that that's a good thing. Um, Cam Duke. <sighs> um, <laughs> just wasn't good. It just wasn't very good, yeah. man. I don't know what to say. Um, I feel bad because I, I have a lot of hopes for him as a player, but it just wasn't it, man. Um, he got subbed off at halftime and should have been, to be completely honest. Um, he's just not very good. What, what was the, what was um, the problem? Was he giving the ball away or? He was just very, um, disconnected from what the team was doing. Yeah. So like, 
you you get very and this is a this is the hard part with him. He's playing in a position that Eric Tommy's been playing in, and and he's trying to do that stuff. Or, or the team is is expecting that type of play from that position, mm-hmm. right? Because Shallowy started at left wing for this match, so Shallowy's sort of got an expectation and sweats at left back. So the only difference on that left side is Duke, and he just was off a step on like everything and so just a lot of potential things kind of went awry like they never got started yeah um you're just so used to seeing tommy do certain things in the in in those situations and he was just not on the same page yeah he would he would be a step short on passes to him he would be you know he would hit the pass at the wrong weight i mean just just a lot of that kind of stuff um i mean it could be it could it could remember Remember when we talked about how how happy I was that Felipe was coming in and playing in Raj's position, but quit yeah. trying to be Raj yeah, yeah, yeah. and started uh-huh. being Felipe? I felt Duke was trying to be Eric Tommy, yeah. and he's not that player, no, he's right? Not. And and I think that's what it looked like to me is he was trying to do that stuff, but just didn't have that skill set. Yeah, that's what it looked like to me. I mean, he doesn't have that. He know. doesn't have that skill set, and his 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 ceiling might be MLS backup. Just might. Not everybody is not everybody's great. You know? I, I know, but that would be frustrating to me, man, because you feel like his ceiling is a lot higher than that. I don't know. You know I, after this season, I don't know. I don't know. I, I thought so. I thought so last season. Um, I thought that uh, that he had a really high. In fact, I, I at one point I tweeted that I thought he he might sell for more than Busio, and that looks pretty silly right now. But uh, I think this season has really exposed a lot of his deficiencies and. Um, frankly, I, you know, a lot of the, his deficiencies are not things that I think, um, will go away. Um, they're not things that are easily worked on. Um, I hope I'm wrong. I really do because, um, because I do like him. I do, even as a player, I like him. I, I, I think he has, uh, he brings valuable, um, um, things to the table, but, uh, he was rough all year and, and it sounds like, yeah. it sounds like he was really rough in the DC game. Well, it, it's so stark, right? Because you you see, yeah. you saw Tommy yeah. come on the field, yeah. and just how much better they looked yeah. immediately when he did. Um, well, actually, what happened was Felipe came on for him. Um, it was I think Felipe, and I forget who else came on at halftime, um, but Felipe came on for him, and it looked immediately better. And then Tommy came on, and it was Felipe and Tommy in the midfield, and they looked infinitely better yeah. about how they how they ran the midfield, and it was. It was that was the eye-opening part to me because you talk about how you know he was sort of rough all season, and we were sort of kind of giving him a pass because like, hey, hey, look, he doesn't have the players around him, mm-hmm. and yeah, it was some rotation, but he had Sweat and Shallowy on the left yeah. side with him. Raj was on the right side, Voltaire's in the middle. You know, yeah, it was Chinese on the right and Shelton, but still, I mean, these are this isn't like you got you and Felipe trying to figure it out yeah. running the midfield, right? And, and you don't, you know, in Denbe and a few others that just don't have that sophistication or, you know, sort of calmness from a professional perspective. And, yeah, it just was pretty stark, the difference um, that, when he came off. Especially with Voltaire playing at the six, that position has to be good. Because Voltaire literally <laughs> almost always passes to the left. Voltaire, yes. Voltaire never passes to the right. Uh, I think he's got... 
I, I don't know. I, if I remember right, I saw like two passes to the right. That's not like in a game. That's like all season. Like he does not pass out to the right. Uh, he does not pass to Johnny Russell. He does not pass to Graham Zussi. He does not pass to Caden Pierre. Everything goes to the left. You know, you know, it is just like the biggest like um, um, sort of example of the fact that Minnesota let Voltaire just have all the space and time he wanted as I did actually see him hit crosses to the right side a couple times in that match like he hit he hit he hit the diagonal to the right side I'm like he never does that wait he can do this <laughs> and I mean I was I, like oh, it was okay. obvious I texted you in the game that they were just letting him do whatever like they 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 were just there was no pressure at all applied to him, and he would receive the what ball from Fantas, and he would he would have time to turn and dribble forward a little bit, and dribble the other way a little bit. Look, he had his head up. Look, it was ridiculous, ridiculous. Like I said, Will Trap tried to press him once, and that did not go well for Will Trap, so they, he stopped doing that. Um, but yeah, I, I I hear what you're saying. I I don't disagree with that. I but you're right. If the if that left sided eight can't progress the ball, it's a problem. With or if they're the if they're not even available, uh, you know, if they don't make the well, if they if they don't make themselves available and part of the uh, and part of the 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 progression and the attack, then then you, you got nothing. Well, it's not it's it's also that, and you know, if you make yourself available, like continuing your run to run onto a ball, like just the all of those kinds of things. The other problem is, is that Duke isn't cha- isn't switching field either. Yeah, and um, that is something that's he's he's a super about. straight line player, he's which a direct, which is direct which is player, why yeah. maybe you're right, and maybe he he his best spot would back. be on the wing. Sure, yeah. he's not going to get that chance I, with us, but you know, yeah, I think he would be good as a wing back. Um, just let him bomb up and down the sideline. Yeah. Let him be Anthony Robinson. Like I think he would sure, be. Sure, okay I could see that. that. I could player. see that. Yeah. Um, I think that that's something that would be would meet his skill set pretty yeah. well. Um, I don't know what the hell was going on with Kendall McIntosh starting a goal, <laughs> other than other than their problem. The only thing that makes any sense to me is they were trying to figure out if they could jettison Timmy. Oh right, I see. Yeah. Right, yeah. you like you put him in, you be like, hey, is this guy serviceable? Yeah. Like they've kept him around for a couple of years. So they must see stuff in him that yeah. they like. And he played well. He made a great save on Christian Benteke to keep it three nil. Three nil. Um, the other save he made was not that. Was it a header? I mean, it was a good. Huh? Was it Benteke? No. What? No, Benteke That's was one. That's a lie. Benteke was open. <laughs> Benteke was open one v one on him, and he, and he stopped it. I mean, that's why. It's been <laughs> well, but <laughs> if it would have been a header, he would have had no chance. <laughs> that. That is a large human. <laughs> he game. really is. A- I don't know if you've ever seen Benteke. No, like, in no, I haven't. Holy crap, that dude is huge. Yeah. Like, he is a large man. Um, but seriously, like, you know, he, this guy's a Premier League striker. Mm. And and he was 1v1 with Kendall McIntosh. And it wasn't like a huge, like, kick save ricochet off, but he caught enough of the ball that it kept it out of the goal. Um, so, anyway, I, th- the only thing I can figure is that there was that. I mean, yeah, it was short rest, but goalkeepers now. Who was who was back up that goalkeeper during that game? Was Pulse it camp. was Pulse Camp? Yeah, Pulse Camp was sitting on the bench. My wife was ogling him the whole time. I was like, he's twenty one. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say, <laughs> Cradle Robin, come on. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Good, I mean, he, he looks yeah, like right. He's about thirty five. He does. He does. <laughs> um, 
Anyway, right, we might need um, to keep your wife away from the team. She's, you know, I think she's getting a little too comfortable. I mean, she she definitely was she was definitely feeling it. Um, Zusi was around after the game on Saturday or on Saturday, and um, she had to cozy up to him as well. I mean, of course, I probably would. Honestly, yeah. he's a good looking guy. Yeah, he is a good looking dude. Um, so I talked a little bit about this um, earlier, but um, Robbie Volader was very very good in D.C. And I think that has something to do with why he ended up coming out at halftime against Minnesota. I don't know if it's because E.C. played necessarily that badly. I don't know if that was a planned sub. I don't know what was going on there. But E.C. didn't play much at all. Did he play against D.C.? I don't even think he came into that match. So I don't understand why E.C. would get subbed at halftime unless they were very displeased with what he was doing. Hmm. Uh, But Volader played great. He played great against D.C. I was very happy. I mean, the goal notwithstanding, the goal's great. I mean, center backs getting a goal is always a fun thing. And it was a fun, it was a very nice, like, sort of touch and then yeah. rip the ball through. Yeah. Like, it was a nice goal. But um, that's not why I think he played well. He looked he so just, happy. He was. <laughs> he, he was very happy. He was like Willie Agata levels of happy. It was, <laughs> it was good to see. Yeah. He, he's a, he's, he's a, um, a fun player that I think has a lot of potential. You know, I like a good, tall, strong center back. Mm. So, um, and he he fits the bill there. And he was very calm on the ball and was absolutely, you know, hitting long balls and being very um, progressive with his passing, which um, I think, you know, meets all of the sort of tenets of what sporting looks for from that position. Yeah. And Fontas was able to move, o- move over to the right and it worked just fine. So, and that's what I'm saying is like, you talk about a center back partnership. Now, granted, you're playing DC United, who is fucking terrible. But um, even with Christian Benteke and Miguel Barry and Ola Kamara, and like they have all yeah. of these players that you would think that they should be a lot better than they are. Taxi Fountas, well, well, we won't talk about Taxi Fountas. His, uh, his uh, not a good. So, 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 Volader played the whole game against DC, right? Yes. And then and then just the second half against um, Minnesota. Against Minnesota. Yeah. yeah. All right. So maybe what um well no because but Fontas played all of those games. I was thinking I was thinking for a second that maybe it was like rest him for the first right. half and it was a plan sub to bring him back yeah. on because he played so well. But Fontas played all of those games for ninety. Hmm. Well, I guess he didn't Cordy Ford came on but Cordy Ford came on, they went to a back three. Yeah, they did. They, yeah. The game. So um. Anyway, um, he played very well, and I was excited to see him play. I so did want to report real quick. You mentioned Courtney Ford. I did want to report mm-hmm. that his his calves have not gotten any smaller, so he still has to you know rip his socks. That's well, but I told you what that whole deal was, right? Like why he does that. No, he actually went. He went. Yeah. So it's not about the size of his calves or anything like that. Apparently, what um what he found was he he was just having a lot of bad calf cramping problems. Mm. Like his calves would cramp very easily, and he kept you know usually what you what you they prescribe like physical trainers prescribe at that point is to give you compression. Yeah. Right. Like if you have a lot of compression, that gives you support, and it will keep them from straining and cramping. And he apparently has some sort of genetic thing that only exists in like. 10% of people where the, the compression actually causes the problem. Hmm. So he intention he cuts his socks himself. I've actually seen him do it on the bench. He like sits there and that, like cuts them. That is Flaherty's uh, job. Come on. I mean, 
you know, Flaherty's got enough going on <laughs> without without cutting cutting Courtney Ford's socks for him. But he he cuts he cuts him himself because that has helped him keep from having the calf problems that he's had. How interesting. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, it's I don't know if any of that. I don't know how. I mean, I'm not a physical. I'm not a PT. I don't know any of those kinds of things. But that was his explanation for it as to why that happens. Placebo is effect. Um, pl- placebo effect is a thing too. Just throwing that out there. That too, but if if it has if if it gives him the confidence, if it works, it works. You know, he's not dealing uh-huh. with the stuff, then that's that's fine. Yeah. Um, the other thing that we saw against DC is Marino's Chinese getting a start. Um, probably his best game for Sporting, in my opinion. Just as active as he was, he played on the right because Shallowy was on the left. Um, I'm still confused by him as a player mm-hmm. as to how he fits in this team yeah it's just um he seems a little bit haphazard i guess would be the right phrase um with his style for how it fits with the structure of this team but it did seem to work better when he was on the right and he could freelance a little bit more kind of like johnny does yeah so um and he was very successful on the right side so you did see him get in. He played on the right at the end of the Minnesota match as well. I mean, it was a very late sub. Yeah. It wasn't like they were trying to do anything with it more than it was more of a time-wasting sub. But um, he 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 played quite well. And then, you know, they brought in um, Tommy and, and Johnny at the 61st minute because it was still one nothing, and they wanted to close the game out, which I understand as well. Um, as soon as those guys came on, DC was pretty much done for. But um, I I'm still a little bit... Like not sure where this guy fits long term with the club. He's got talents, but they're just not the type that you usually see Sporting going after. That's the part of these U twenty two signings that's been strange to me, is that other than Volader, I don't see the style of player that they would normally go for. Yeah, both in Denbe and Chanice are fairly significant departures from what they usually have had in the positions that they're playing. That's got to be like, like the single most confusing window in that I've seen as a sporting Kansas city fan. Um, if, if not the most frustrating, there's been more frustrating windows. I think there were nothing happened, um, or not enough happened, but this window, I mean, that is just so, so mystifying, uh, what they were trying to do, why they went some directions and not others. It's weird. I mean, I don't think from a talent profile that they've scouted badly on these guys. I think they're really good players. Right, it's just a fit. I just, yeah, but, I'm but struggling to fit, see how they fit. Fit is everything. I mean, especially yeah. even even more so in 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 this team uh, with this coach. Fit is everything. Yeah, the guys they see they they're definitely like all play hard guys. Yeah, sure. None of them are. None of them are like attitude problems yeah. or any of those kinds of things. They're definitely a fit from the sort of philosophy and ethos perspective. I just don't know if they're the best, how they fit from their playing styles mm-hmm. with the players around them. And maybe that's just a time and, and familiarity thing. You know, every, yeah. every player's, you know, sort of integration, um, you know, timeline is a little bit different. Um, and not all of them are Eric Tommy and Willie Agata, and some of them, you know, take a season, especially at you know twenty to twenty-two years old, yeah. um, when you're trying to learn a lot of stuff. So I, I, I think if Chinese can, you know, stick around Johnny Russell a little bit and like learn from him and play the right side and sort of be creative from the right a little bit more, 
because he was created from the right and then delivered that ball that Kyrie got to touch on. Like, there's a few moments like that where he was playing on the right and then cutting in on his left that was positive. And he had played a little bit on the right in Cyprus. So, I mean, it's not like it's completely foreign to him. Um, I, I feel like that might be a better fit for him. And long term, maybe that's where we see him more. I think we all thought that maybe he would play on the left and spell shallowy and maybe be like a change of pace for shallowy. But the reality is maybe he's the guy that can take, you know, a thousand minutes off of a 33-year-old Johnny Russell next year, which wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. No, not at all. Is he is, is Choney's uh, right-footed or left-footed? I thought he was left-footed. Are you looking at? I, I'm I trying was, to I find. I'm trying to find, but I can't. Uh, I can't see right off the bat uh, what he is. I mean, because you know that that if he's left-footed, then you know it would make a lot of sense for him to be um, in that sort of Johnny Russell role. Uh, but even if he's right-footed, I mean, there's there's definitely um, there's definitely things that he can do uh, on the right side to really cause uh, problems. Uh, it seems to me that he would be a um, like a really good um, a really good possibility for a player who can, who can sort of you know drive in the half space to the end line and then, you know, do the Manchester City cutback. I could see him um, being successful doing that kind of uh, that kind of uh, attacking movement. So FB Ref has him at seventy six percent right footed. Okay. And so does transfer market. Yeah, I mean, I was thinking, I was thinking he was right-footed, so that, I mean, that makes hmm. sense. Uh, that makes sense too. Yeah, so I don't know. I, I don't know why I thought he would. He he. I saw him cut inside a lot, but maybe that's just his. He does that from the left as well. That's true. So that's just that's just his thing. But but my my yeah. point still holds. I mean, I could I could really see him just beating people, beating a fullback off the dribble, taking it to the end line, and and cutting it back for. You know, or cutting it back, to, cutting it sort of to the to the near post for uh, for Agata or somebody making that run. Um, so there's still there's still chances for him to be useful. Yeah, I I just I've um, I was just I've just been confused yeah. by him and his profile. Yeah. Right. Just I just is so different than the type of player that we've traditionally had, and that's not a bad thing. Having a change of pace, mm-hmm. having a different style. That that is also a good thing to have. So yeah. um, he's gotten a lot of sub appearances this year. He's, I think, uh, Mikeopedia was saying he might break the record for most sub appearances in a season. <laughs> I think it's at twenty nine, and he's got twenty seven so far, or twenty six, twenty six or twenty seven. So maybe he can't break it. I don't know. Um, but the, the, yeah, matches played twenty seven, minutes played seven seventy. Yeah, yikes. <laughs> um, the the problem is, you know, it's fine being a a a, a late uh, a late in the game sub, a late minute sub. But the but he he really has not made you know a, a really positive impact in most games when he's come in at that position. And I know a lot of times he's killing off games, but even when he's when he's been come coming on to add some uh, attacking flavor, it really hasn't come off. And so I think that's something that. Um, that him and the and the club need to work on is um, okay. We have this change of pace. We have this player with a skill set that's not like um, um, the other players. How can we how can we put that to good effect? How can we make that work for us? Uh, because to to you know so far this season, I don't think that they've been very successful at doing that. I'd say that's fair. Um, yeah, I think that I, I strive for fairness, Drew. Well, but I think that the, I think that there's another there's another you know sort of caveat that we can put towards this where none of those guys made it to the team until the season already started. Yeah. So um, yeah, preseason is important. Cards. 
yeah, green cards and all that stuff didn't allow them to do any kind of build out. They had to figure it out on the fly and you're missing guys at the same time. I just think a lot about the first half of the season was just um, a menagerie of failures. Oh, I like that. Because of because of because <laughs> of circumstances, because of choices, because of all those things. All right. Uh, real quick. Let's talk about set pieces, because I know this has been sort of um, stuck in your craw for a minute now yeah, for like for um, like for, for years honestly years i mean we, we've known this for a long time sporting kansas city both offensively and defensively is um a frustrating team <laughs> to watch on set pieces um they just um their their set piece design lacks any kind of vision um in my opinion and their set piece defending especially recently seems to be just a haphazard can i kick the ball clear so philosophy. so so st- statistically their set piece defending is is like okay uh i think i think it's i don't know maybe 12th best in the league or something like it's, okay. it's not it's not terrible um as far as giving up goals on set pieces right, is that right what that's saying? what i'm saying okay. uh but man they're they're their set pieces are just oh their their attacking set pieces are just so aggravating. They're always like overcooked. They're 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 uh, too cute uh, by by a long shot. Um, and 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 the most important thing is they're just not successful. Uh, Should we clarify this for just a second? Because I think there's a difference we need to think about with set pieces. I think from free kicks, like direct free yeah, kicks, I, I, yeah, they're decent. Right. They're a decent team right. offensively. Sure. Corner kicks, just, they're not just, good at all. Just brutally bad. Um, yeah. And 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 they're brutally bad to to the point where uh, they, you know, they they try cute stuff that doesn't come on, and then they give up counterattacks. That's not a new thing either. I mean, you can think back to you know Johan Quaze did had that disaster of a of a, a set piece defense, um, and you know that was some years ago. It's not it's not a new thing. I don't understand. I don't. I just don't understand what the point is because you know you you you'd think if if something wasn't working, you would try different things. But you know they keep trying like the same things over and over again and. A, 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 a favorite uh, strategy uh, or tactic is to is to have your 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 kicker kick the ball to um, pass the far post right to 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 the far edge of the six yard box uh, off the far post and then have someone head the ball back in um, and it it like never works and and the most aggravating thing is they almost always put a good header of the ball on uh, on that back post in order to make that play, taking that that player out of in front of the goal. They did it constantly with Ike Opara. They do it with with Johnny Russell. It's just absurd. I, it doesn't make any sense to me why you would take uh, your 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 players who are good at at winning aerial duels and move them away from the mouth of goal it's um mystifying i would say the only um set corner corner kick set pieces i've seen that have been successful have been the short ones where raj flicks it on yeah he's been pretty good at flicking it on and getting it across Mm -hmm. the goal mouth and sometimes he'll put it right on frame himself sometimes there will be someone crashing there they need to be doing that more often, yeah. especially because it, I feel like no one ever covers Raj when he makes that near post run. Yeah. Like, I mean, every time I see him do it, it's open. I think they just need to keep doing that until somebody stops them from doing it. And maybe at that point, it'll pull some defenders c- towards the near post and there'll be more space on the back post. 
Um, I think, you know, it goes back to the stuff that we've talked about over and over again. We don't have center backs that win in the air. Yeah. That's just not their forte. And when the tallest guys on the field aren't aerial winners, it makes it really difficult in a, in a corner kick situation if the other team's center backs, their tallest guys on the field, are good aerial winners. Yeah. Um, you know, I, as, as much as I trust Johnny Russell and Willie Agata's ability to get on the end of a ball, if they're, get, if they're trying to get it through traffic next to, you know, um, name your center back, Aaron Long, yeah. like, I, don't, I don't give them much shot in that circumstance. Uh, Walker Zimmerman, any of those guys, like I just don't give them. They one out of ten times, maybe they're gonna win that duel. So I think that that's part of the problem is that you don't have ball winners. And then to your point, even when you had a transcendent aerial duel winner in Icopara, you left him out at the top of the six, uh, top of the eighteen for some reason. Like I don't. <laughs> Um, I feel like when they score off a set piece, it's more off of a just throw it into the mixer and some things got bobbled yeah, around. Yeah, I, I honestly, I, I wish they would, they would do that, honestly, because because when they get cute uh, and they don't execute, um, then then things go really wrong. And you can just see it unfolding. It's like watching a, a, a car accident in, in slow motion, and you can just see uh, like the pass is not coming off and, you know, the other team enters up the ball and then everybody's sprinting backwards. And I can, uh, there are enough stressful things in my life, Drew. I could just do without that stress. Just put the ball, <laughs> put the ball in the mixer and keep a couple guys back to make sure you don't get countered and call it good. I've got enough stress and anxiety watching our watching them try to defend set pieces. Yeah, right. <laughs> I don't have a whole lot of I don't have a whole lot of uh, confidence in aerial wins on our own side to like clear that stuff. Um, I feel like it when it happens, it's more luck than like practice skill. But um, yeah, I I um, it's just it's been an ongoing issue with this team. Uh, which is weird because they do have a lot of good creative players, and they have guys that win in the air. You can't. So it's just it's, like, a, it's a little known fact that you you it's impossible to buy players who uh, can pass the ball and also head the ball. So it's either like one or the other. <laughs> and and we just go all all in on passing. So you know that other stuff we don't need. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um. All right. Anyway, that I wanted to, I wanted to at least cover that because it was the, it happened a couple times in the last two games where you were angrily texting me about how bad the set pieces were, and they were not. I agree with you. They were bad. They were they were just your. I'm I'm texting you because my wife has heard it like a thousand times, and she really is over it. Honestly, she doesn't have any she doesn't have any desire to listen to me gripe about set pieces. So. <laughs> Maybe you need to like volunteer to be the set piece coach, like set up. Some no, I, designs. I'm, I'm not good at it either. Uh, I ignore it as much as I possibly can because, uh, well, my my players can barely kick the ball, much less head the ball. So you know, sure, it, yeah, I got gotcha. you. <laughs> um, so we really don't have a preview for next week to cover. Um, it's international break. It's off. Then we don't have we don't have a match until. Uh, October second, well, man. Well, I'm, the Sounders come to town. I'm telling you, uh, I don't. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but having the international break uh, back up to the the everything being shut down for the Queen and and not getting the Chelsea Liverpool game before break, man. Let yeah. me tell you that that's that's kind of hard to handle. I gotta admit. And yeah, 
it's yeah it's it i mean i get it but also i'm like tottenham played this week yeah plenty of teams played it it was a matter of of mobilizing the police force with enough time uh for the next day that's Uh, because was it in london was that mm -hmm, where the game was Uh, okay that makes sense yeah wait was spurs were playing at home weren't they against leicester I, I feel like I don't it. Remember. Maybe, well, I mean, I guess they don't need as much police for Spurs Leicester as they need for <laughs> Chelsea Liverpool. <laughs> I mean, man, yeah. So. I mean, anyway, well, you know, that just, that, gave, that just, Todd Bo- that just gave Todd Bowley a couple more weeks yeah. to come up with some new all-star it games. Gave, it gave Graham Potter a reprieve, man, because he was going to get his first, uh, his first legitimate smackdown. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, we'll see. We'll have to see. No, again, I don't know. It's it's actually good for Liverpool because it gives them time to like get a healthy midfield. So you know, get their shit together. Yeah, they, for they sure. need it. Let me tell you, they need they they need a little bit of time. Um, so U.S. men's national team is playing uh, Friday morning, I guess. <laughs> yeah, against Japan. So um, I guess we'll try. I'll probably just have to DVR that and watch it later. Yeah. I'm sure there will be much uh, things. You know, much. Um, gnashing of teeth and yelling on the Twitter about what happened and all the stupid things Greg Berhalter did that I can follow up on after the match. Um, I I gotta say I love Greg Berhalter. I really do. There are things he does like in game management that really kind of uh, grind my gears. But just just overall, uh, I think he was probably the perfect um, person to have uh, in charge during this time period. I think that he has done an unbelievable job of both identifying the key talent in the pool, mm-hmm. giving, I mean, it's a bunch of people will scream on Twitter about how he's not, he's not using our best players, blah, 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 blah. The guy has brought 40 plus people in over the last yeah. year and given them chances and seen them and seen what they have to, to offer. He has come down to a playing style that he wants he is picking the players that fit that playing style. Yep. Like you can see a clear vision of how they want to play. He's bringing in players that most fit that vision. Yeah. He's not going to bring in Tim Ream to play left center back because we have some injuries when he wants to play a high line. Yeah. Like, and he straight up said it. This is the thing I love about him. He said it in a press uh-huh. conference. He's like, Tim, love him. He's a great player. We want to play a high line. That is not his forte. Yeah. He straight up said it in a press conference. Like, and, and, I just I appreciate that candor and that level of clarity. I can get I can understand that thought process. Yeah. I actually agree with that thought process too, but other people may disagree with it. Sure. But at least it, it's a it's a it's a it's a cogent thought that he had about what's actually going on with the team and you can you can recognize it. And it's been a while since we've had that level of clarity yeah. and a clear picture of what the team is attempting to do. And um you know, I I saw Hurt Gomez. I guess was on some podcast this week, and maybe it was maybe it was with the athletic guys, or maybe it was something else. And he was going on. He called. He, it was like the the, the the people keep calling him the golden generation. They should call them the generation of glass because they keep getting injured all the time. And I'm like, dude, this is soccer. Guys get injured. Like it happens. Like the reason you made it to a World Cup is because dudes got injured. <laughs> there is like, that. <laughs> I, I, I mean, bro, like well, you would not have ever played in a World Cup if it hadn't been for injuries. So, so like, and the thing is, is that is that is that 
even though uh, our our talent pool is really deep considering where it's been in the past, compared to other countries, it's still not. And so if, if France has a couple of injuries, it's not a big deal, you know, because they've got they've got like elite world class players uh, all over their squad. So you know, whatever. It's uh, I would pump the brakes on that a little bit. I I do think. I mean, circumstance circumstance is part of the national game. Yeah, like hundred percent international game. Like playing playing for your national team and going to a World Cup. Yeah, you have a three week window yep. to play well. Yeah, and you know you can any team can suffer a bad injury and be out of whatever level uh, that they expect to be at. Um, and candidly. The U.S. don't have the easiest group. No. So, I mean, I don't care what people say. Wales and Iran are not pushovers yeah. by any shape. And, um, you know, they're, we're just going to have to see what happens. Tim Weah apparently is in camp, even though, you know, he's out hurt. He's in camp with the team, which... That's you know, that's what we call the Alan Polito. <laughs> just hanging out. Is, just hanging out. Just hanging out. For the further vibes. Brace on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, Cologne, Germany is real nice this time of year out here. So <laughs> I saw it, it everybody is, that's there took a picture of the cathedral. It is, so, it is yeah, almost October, so let's go. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Taylor Twelman made sure to let us all know that he was going to be there during Octoberfest. Yeah. I'm like, okay, congratulations, dude. Uh, did you know uh-huh. Lee Summit always has Oktoberfest in September, which doesn't make that much sense to me. I mean, I've seen places do that all the time. Okay. They have it in, like, last week in September. It could be worse. I, it could I, be I, in, like, you know, August, so. Yeah, that's true. I mean, that, like, when they start bringing out the pumpkin spice lattes in the middle of August. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> pumpkin season. No, dude, it's 100 degrees. Although, it was 100 degrees yesterday. So it was. I'm not sure it that was. I went, to, I went to two soccer games yesterday, and it oh, was. God. It was Ugh. brutal. Eesh. Brutal. Um. I, I will say that um, amongst the players that are in with the team, um, the most – I'm trying to think of who I'm the most interested – probably Sam Vines is the one I'm probably most interested okay. in. Okay. Um, he's apparently – I don't. I haven't been watching, but he's apparently been playing well at Royal Antwerp. He's started every game um, and has been playing well there. And we desperately need a backup left back. <laughs> like um, – if Jedi is out with a foot injury at the World Cup, yeah, that's, things can get pretty bad. That's bad, absolutely. <laughs> um, everyone talks about the striker position, but honestly, the 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 depth at fullback is more of a problem than um, the striker position. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I'm I'm hopeful to see some good stuff from Sam Vines and uh, Joe Scally. I'm. We can see some good stuff from those. Yeah, I'm. I'm interested in seeing Joe Scally, and honestly, I'm. Uh, I'm really interested and hopeful uh, that that uh, Sergeant will get minutes and that he'll do good things. Uh, I, I think he's going to get a lot of minutes. I, I think Greg's going to give him a run out. That's for good. Sure. I, I hope so. I, I. I. I love him. I've always loved him. He's. He's been good at every single level of soccer he's played at and uh you know he made a he made a bad choice and going to maybe going to norwich last year and uh and it just I, it mean, just he made a bad choice going to order <laughs> Bre- 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 well, well sure uh um, yeah. but 
you know, I mean, soccer, a lot of sports is about fit. You know, it's about it's about where where you can um, where you can get on that that fits your your needs the most to, to maximize your potential. And so maybe he's uh, maybe he's on the right track now. I think he's just I, I don't know. I, I just love him. Honestly, I think he's a good player. And, um, you know, he's a Midwestern boy, so we can root for him. Yeah. If you read between the lines of the stuff that Berhalter said when he's talked about these players moving over to Europe and potentially moving over too early, mm. and he talks about the fact where it's like, no, you need to dominate mm-hmm. your level mm-hmm. before you go to the next level, and then dominate that level before you go to the next level. And he, and he talks about it's like maybe you dominate MLS and then you go to the Australian Bundesliga right. Austrian Bundesliga right. or the Eredivisie right. or something like that, and you dominate that level. Then, I mean, look what Erling Haaland did. Right. Or, Holland didn't just jump straight to Manchester City. Dude went to Salzburg. Yeah. And then architected a deal at Dortmund where he could leave very easily if he wanted to, but absolutely shredded it yep. at Dortmund for a couple years before he made the move to City. And there were apparently like 10 different teams that he might could have signed for at that point. So, but that that's what I'm saying is like Sargent, he didn't do that. Yeah. He, he he at 17 tried to break through into the first team at Werder Bremen, a team that was fighting against relegation, and it just wasn't the right fit. And to your exact point, if you do it, if you go dominate, the people that are coming after you are teams that can put you in it, and you can choose mm-hmm. to go into a position of a place that is a good fit for you. Yeah. And I think that... Instead of, instead of just jumping of the at the first one who comes along. Yeah. And it's, and it's hard not to, man. Sure. Like, I'm going to say, like, if you're 17, 18 years old and some uh, some German team is offering you seven eight $800,000 a year to go play soccer, like, what are you going to do? The, the truth is he was just desperate to get out of St. Louis. I mean, let's be honest. Well, and also Sporting had put the homegrown claim on it. Come on, Drew, so, Drew, Drew. That was just, a, it was not, it's just a pure slam at St. Louis. That's all. Oh, okay. That's all. We, we got. We got to get the. We got to get the rivalry. That's our real rivalry now. We don't have to be fake <laughs> fake rivals with Minnesota anymore. Didn't We've he got play St. For Louis. Scott Gallagher? He did. Was yes, he. Scott he Gallagher absolutely, guy? he yeah. was. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. okay. Yep. Um, I, I'm. Anyway, my point <laughs> is, is that I think that there's a there's a universe in which he plays at a Sporting Kansas City or some other MLS team, if even if it's not Sporting, he plays there for for a couple years. And does a Ricardo Pepe things, and then maybe doesn't go to Augsburg for twenty million dollars, yeah. and then totally you know have to step back and go to the Eredivisie. Like, and it looks like Pepe is he's got a goal and an assist in two games in the Eredivisie, at a level that he should be to help like continue to progress his own development. But there's there's a world in which he does that before you know he's twenty two and in the championship and finally starting to find his way. Um, Anyway. Do you do you think that that uh, that uh, Greg should have brought up um, um, uh, Pfaff instead of uh, instead of Pepe? Pepe. Um, I here's where I will here's what I will say. I actually agree with Burhalter's assessment of this, which is we know who Pfaff is, we know what he's about, and if we want to bring him in in the World Cup, we'll bring him in. Um, PFOC plays the position totally differently than they do for the men's national team. It's a complete change of pace. Um, I can see a circumstance where you're, where a team is set back and you're struggling to score goals and you need a guy that can get on the end of crosses and that you would want PFOC for that position, but he's a one trick pony for this team. Mm-hmm. He's not, he's not a player that's going to progress the ball through the middle, which is something that Greg really requires out of the center forward in this team. And you saw what happened. Haji Wright got, 
what, 60 minutes and basically got motherfucked in the press conference and we haven't seen from him again. Um, these guys that are target forwards aren't really what Greg's looking for. Um, so, and that's okay. Like, if you have a defined goal for how you want the team to play, and I think part of it, too, is based on the fact that Jesus Ferreira has played the best for this team over the last year. So you've molded a tactic and a philosophy based on his skill set and based on the skill set of the wingers around him. So that's what you've sort of set up and put in place. you got these wingers slash quote-unquote half-space merchants. You've got these dual eights that can, that can progress into those spaces. You've got the center forward that can drop back. There's a system in place. Jordan Pifak is not a good fit for that system. Yeah. He's a good fit for banging in crosses and him getting on the end of them. And yeah. he's apparently like almost world, like maybe world class at it. Like we see what he's doing at Union Berlin. He's drastically overperforming his XG right now, <laughs> like at a, an extreme level. So I think that, you know, maybe maybe this is some Daryl DK kind of stuff at at, uh-huh. at, uh, at Barnsley yeah. going on where he looks a lot better than maybe he is because of that. But um, I can understand Greg's perspective. He's like, I know what I'm getting from that guy. I'd rather bring in another guy to see if he's maybe still if he's up to form, because I think if Pepe is in form, he's a better fit for this team mm-hmm. and can do more for this team as a third striker than Jordan Pifak can. Well, that's my thought. And the, the thing is, is Pepe has shown that he can do it for the U.S. men's team too. Like he's show, he's, well, he's, it, he's in, he's in two windows. He did. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's a very small. Sample sure. Size sure. Sure. Um, more so, more so than Pifak. That's, you know, that's true. And Pifak had a, a chance yeah. on a platter against Mexico and did not finish it. And it was it's the type of finish that you would expect Pifak to make, right? Like he was ahead mm-hmm. and he was a clean header and he didn't and he didn't finish it. So I can understand that perspective. Granted, that's the problem with World Club qualifying. It's such a small sample yeah. size. It's such a very specific it's it's really hard. Um you're you're looking at very specific moments. Um but I do agree with Greg that I don't think if if Pepe is trash during this during this training camp and during these matches and doesn't continue to improve at Groningen, then I think you bring Pifak and you just know that you've got a guy that you can bring off the bench to um, get on the end of a ball at the end of a game if you need to. If you're chasing a goal, if it's 1-1 and it's the night, it's the 85th minute and you're trying to get a game winner and you're going to get a set piece, of course you bring on Pifak, wouldn't you? Like, I, yeah. I, I think that that's a, I think that's a, Good thing to have in your locker. Yeah. But I also think Ricardo Pepe can get up and get that ball, too. Mm-hmm. So if Pepe can do the other things, then I think it's worth getting an eyeball on him to see where he's at. Yeah. That's just my thought. I am uh, – I just want – I just want uh, especially, like, Gio Reyna to not get injured. Uh, I don't want him to get injured at all. Because I am, I just want that guy to just explode at the World Cup, man. If if he stays healthy and the U.S. plays like four to five games, he's gonna be the breakout player. He is. He's amazing, and he's got he's got it. You know, he's got that that just ultra competitive Michael Jordan thing where it's just. Uh, he's just—it's uh, a—it's a level of nastiness <laughs> that no, none of the other U.S. men's players, I think, really have. Um, yeah. And uh, I love it, man. I love it. I think we've said this before, but he's the closest thing to Dempsey that, that exists. Yeah, on the team. absolutely. Yeah, I'm—I'm um, I'm looking forward to it. And I, it, it'll be nice to see Yunus Musa's not injured as well. I want yeah. I—I I, I think he'll be okay, right? I mean, they said they said it yeah. wasn't a super serious injury, so. 
Right. The the most important player to not be injured is Tyler Adams, though. That's uh, that's just the truth. That is a fact. <laughs> he has had his injury. He has had his injury concerns over uh-huh. time too. I mean, uh-huh. they all do. Like you're talking about like, and this is the other thing that I think people fail to recognize when they talk about um, these injury concerns. All of these guys are under the age of 23. Mm-hmm. You're asking literal teenagers to young 21, 20 year olds to do feats of physicality that are designed for 27 year old like mature athletes. Yeah, they're gonna get hurt. It's just a, it's inevitable. Take a look at what Christian Pulisic looks like today versus what he looked oh, like when he was yeah. 18 yep. playing for Dortmund. They're not even close to the same person yeah. physically. And it's just, they, and they couldn't, they, they couldn't have been, I mean, uh, no. that, that, that Pulisic would get just destroyed in the premier league. Exactly. And so you have to build up that, and, that and, 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 and CONCACAF probably. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he did score a bunch of goals in that World Cup cycle. He did. He, he also, they also the kicked team. the shit out of him, too, like, yeah, every time exactly. he touched the ball. Yes, yes, they did. Anyway, um, I think that, you know, realistically, that's going to be a thing that happens with, with uh, players of this age group as they, as they try to level up in these leagues. There, there's going to be some injuries that happen as a result of it. Um, okay, we'll have to see. We'll have to see. I, I'm sure there will be some injuries in November. And we'll have to adjust to that. That's just what happens. Too. That's uh, yeah. that's the game. That's why you. Uh, that's why you don't buy out Alan Polito. Exactly. It's all the same thing. <laughs> it's like, that was the biggest thing about Doyle's comment that just totally irked me. I'm like, bro, did you just not? Did you not watch what just happened this year? When when a guy <laughs> we buy out Polito and a guy goes down with a knee injury, and then we got. 12 more months of Kyrie Shelton at center forward. Like, I, I don't know what to say. Yep. And I say that, and, and I, I did not mean to make, take another dig at Kyrie Shelton because I feel like we do it on every podcast. Um, an objectively very nice human being that just has been played out of position way too much during his career in Sporting Kansas City. But, yeah, it, it, we see what the difference is when Willie Agata's out there. And, yeah, it's just like that, that, that just reeks of learning zero lessons from this year. If you go and buy out Polito and just sign some backup striker, like okay, just pull one out of the hat, that's fine. Like uh, we've so, seen how that's m- gone. maybe some guy named Voinovich or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. Anyway, all right. Um, we w- we got back to our normal uh, status of recording for an hour and forty five minutes. But technically, that's um, that's three games worth, so we're still on a good pace, right? We are we are definitely on a good pace, but uh, everyone that's used to getting you know at least two hours of work wasted while listening to our podcast, um, you will be much happier this time around for sure. Um, and uh, I guess we'll probably be back next week. We can probably talk about the men's national team. Sure, we'll do that. Let's uh, let's okay. plan on it. Sure. Okay. It is. It is. It is Rosh Hashanah. So uh, I'm about to. Ha- oh, I'm no. about to start my uh, my uh, my leisure time. So I'm okay. pretty, well, pretty excited about that. To, you'll have time. You'll have some time to watch some some football uh, and uh, record podcasts. Yeah, because the international break is my favorite thing. Just love <laughs> love it. <laughs> all right. All right. <laughs> on that note, <laughs> I'm Drew. He's Cody. We will talk to y'all next week. Bye, y'all.